Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. And the cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. When they were out, the wheels were also beside them, and everyone stood at the door. Hi, welcome to my podcast and my channel in the name of Yeshua, our Lord. Our living waters are Mayam Hayam. Living waters pouring out from him and from heaven and into us. And I, my last podcast, I talked about stay in the sukkah. And I talked a little bit about the Feast of Sukkot. But I was thinking I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Feast of Sukkot. Uh, I just kept thinking about that and also some uh, darkness. Um, and then there's light. So just different patterns of darkness and light. Um, so also I just wanted to share an excerpt from my book, uh, The Passion of Jesus, uh, the last chapter, because as he is on the cross uh, dying, saying, I thirst, he is then the living waters pouring out for, as he, all of humanity who calls on his name. So as he took the he took the thirst that that we feel, like the wrath of God, like we're so thirsty and we're panting after the Lord as a deer pants for water and we're so thirsty in our souls. Um, you know, most people are just dying of a lack of thirst because they're not drinking from the Mayam Hayam, which means the living waters that comes down from heaven. And Jesus said, if you drink of these living waters and you eat his bread which is his body, that you will have a living waters flowing from your belly. And how many of us have living waters flowing from our belly? I mean, I know I felt that at times really strongly. I can feel it right now. Uh, there's been times I've moving in great power and anointing where people are healed. Um, I've spoken in tongues to people who've heard in their own language who have heard prophetic words from the Lord as I spoke in tongues. Uh, I've been in situations where God just brings me people and they say, how do I get, how, how can I be saved? How can I be saved? How do I hear the Lord? Um, so anyway, but that though, so as Jesus took the, the thirst on himself with the wrath of God, when he took the whole wrath of the Father on himself, the whole judgment of God, then he became that, the, that living water. And he, so I wanted to just talk a little bit more about that. So the Feast of Sukkot is also called the Feast of Booths, but it's also called the Feast of Tabernacles. And I do have a really good video on that. Um, you can, you can look up, but I want to just talk about what that really means. So the Feast of Sukkot is the latter feast, which we're waiting um, patiently for the Lord to fulfill. And he says, stay in the sukkah. So we're going to stay in the sukkah. We're going to stay in that temporary dwelling place with him. And in that temporary dwelling place with him is the living waters. That is where we're going to have our provision in our spirit and in our flesh like every everything as he is fulfilling the feast of Sukkot as he is fulfilling his latter harvest feast everything is going all provision all water all life all 
anointing is going to be in him in that temporary dwelling with him. It's all going to be fulfilled in him. There's not going to be anything else in the world anymore. There's not going to be any way to find him. It's all going to be about him fulfilling that feast. So we believe, a lot of people believe that Jesus was born around the Feast of Sukkot. So that was when they, during the Feast of Sukkot in Israel, that's when they would have to go to their original towns and they would do their census. So you would be seeing a lot of temporary dwellings as people were dwelling in their towns. And some people believe that the barn um, may not have been so much of a barn, but may have been a sukkah. So that puts our timing for his conception around Hanukkah. So Hanukkah is, of course, the miracle of the Lord taking care of his people when they were about to be destroyed and him having the oil burn for eight days. So the eighth is also always the miracle. We go through the seven and then we're at the eight and the Jesus being conceived on Hanukkah uh, would be really cool if, if that was true. So anyway, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles um, is found in John chapter 7. And I think this is really significant. And it's very significant that we follow Yeshua. We follow Yahweh. We follow the Lord of Israel. Because the God of this world uh, will present himself to be very deceptive. And all the religions coming together. But we want to stay very separate and we want to stay very much in our roots of Israel. So I'm going to start on the John uh, 7.37. So on the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood up and called out in a loud voice. So this was the last day of the Feast of Sukkot, which is also the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Booths. Jesus was in the temple in Jerusalem, and he stood up on that last great day of the feast, and he said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So this was astounding, like, because I'm going to show you a little bit more of the background of Sukkot and what it means about the water, the Feast of Sukkot. So he was, this was the first day of Jesus' ministry. This was when he stood up and basically said, I am the Mayam Hayam, the water of life. And the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying he was God. He stood up and saying he was God, this carpenter from Nazareth who came from Bethlehem. And he said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow out of your belly. So streams, I was just talking about how the, you know, he's the living water, he pours through us, and we have living water pouring out to others. When he stood up and said this, the Jews in the temple were angry, uh, they were confused, and how can this, you know, Jesus come from Galilee? Uh, that's where he had been residing. Um, some of them wanted to seize him and lay hands on him. The significance of what he was saying, the Jewish leaders, they knew all about it. And it was very blasphemous. So he wasn't just saying, 
you know, I'm full of water and you can have a drink or whatever. They knew that he was talking about the water from Yahweh, from the Lord. So during Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, the people of Israel carried torches around the temple, illuminating bright candles along the walls of the temple to demonstrate the coming of the Messiah, who would be the light to the Gentiles as well. The priest would draw water from the pool of Siloam and carry it into the temple where it was poured into a silver basin beside the altar. The priest would call upon Yahweh to provide heavenly water in the form of rain, and many people looked forward to the future to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the latter harvest as spoken by Joel. So I'm just giving you a little background on the how the Jews were celebrating the Feast of Tabernacle. So the water, you know, they're asking for like the rain that comes down from heaven to bless their latter feast. And so when Jesus is saying, I am the source of water, I am the Mayam Hayam, I am the living water coming straight from heaven. Uh, they knew that he was saying, I'm claiming to be the Messiah the light to the Jews and the Gentiles. And sadly, they were too blind to see the light at that time. So going on about the light a little bit. So I was thinking about the darkness that's been prophesied. So the day, the great and terrible day of the Lord is darkness. It is not light. So and we are in that time and approaching that time, and the prophetic darkness, um, like my video last fall about darkness and the flying scroll, you know, the possible nuclear and different things that are coming upon us. Uh, and Elizabeth Rain had a really good word recently about the three days of darkness, uh, about staying inside, so that would be like staying in the sukkah. But I had a thought about the darkness, and there's only been, there's a pattern of the Lord in the darkness in the Bible. There has been five times of darkness in the Bible, and right before the greatest light. And four of those have happened, and one is yet to happen. One darkness to light. So in the very beginning in Genesis, darkness covered the earth and then God said, let there be light. Elohim, who is the plural of God in one. God is a multi-personality God in one. So Elohim uh, said, spoke, let there be light. So darkness covered the earth and then he said, let there be light. And then the light began to divide from the day and the night and all that went on. The next time we see the darkness is when the children of Israel are being delivered from Egypt. So we're seeing the darkness and the angel of death coming over to smite the firstborn and the darkness that covered and then the Lord with his light, with his uh, fire, fiery cloud, uh, he led the children out of their bondage. So 
and the plagues were happening, which will be, uh, I guess, seven of the plagues are sim are the same words of the plagues in Revelation of what happened in Egypt. And we're being delivered from our ultimate bondage, our ultimate Egypt, delivered from slavery and the world. So this will be the greatest time of light that's coming on. The third time we see the darkness and then the light. I mean, other than, you know, you could say that the star of Bethlehem was light and Herod was dark trying to kill the babies, but we don't really have the words about the darkness until Jesus has been baptized by John and he has been driven into the wilderness and tempted by Satan 40 days and nights. And then he begins his ministry. And in Matthew 4, he is beginning his ministry and he is quoting from the book of Isaiah, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those in the land of the shadow of death a light has dawned and i love that psalm that says in the light in his light we will see light and so from this time on jesus began his ministry so we the third time we see the darkness is when jesus is anointed to begin his ministry on the earth those who have sat in darkness have seen a great light. The next time we see a darkness is when Jesus is dying on the cross. So the, it says that when he was dying, those last moments, the sky turned dark. It freaked everybody out. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon and everything was pitch black. And Jesus was the light of the world on the cross dying for our sins and as he died for our sins and completed his mission he became that light like he already was the light but he fulfilled his mission to be the light so as we approach as we're in these in times and we approach the darkness as the darkness gets thicker we have the hope of the light the light of the world coming the light of the world being in us so not only are we having the living water just pouring over us and in us in the sukkah, we're having the bread of life. We're going to eat and drink his water and eat his bread and his provision. And then the light will be shining as the darkness is over the earth as he's prophetically fulfilling his end time harvest. So, I just thought that was really cool to think about that. So we're not ever supposed to be afraid. We're supposed to be trusting in his light. And then I had this thought because I have experienced a lot of people telling me that uh, recently, since 2017, um, that they were not a believer. They were in another religion. Uh, don't even think about God and they heard they're hearing God in different ways one just heard Jesus and said I'm coming soon <laughs> follow me and one person she just started hearing scriptures in the night in in like a like a voice like she didn't know if it was a dream or a voice and she had to go get a Bible to actually see what she was 
hearing and seeing. And um, one person is like starting to hear God after being in in alternate religions. And so I start thinking about the thief in the night scripture. Now I know that uh, uh, the study that we, our team did on that was that this, the Lord will literally snatch the earth away uh, as a thief in the night. Like the people who think they're going to save the earth and they're going to still have a harvest on the earth as he's ending things, uh, there really won't be anything left. And But the thief in the night, I start thinking about what if it's also like the Lord waking people up like, hey, hello. I'm coming. I'm coming back. I'm coming soon. Hey, like, hey, like I'm waking you up, tapping you on the shoulder, uh, giving you a revelation. And what if that's a thief in the night? Like, what if the Lord is literally just waking up his own and those who are his sheep are hearing his voice and listening, but those who aren't won't hear him. They won't hear him. They'll just still be here when other people are just quietly, you know, being in that invisible secret place with him and the separation gets more and more from those who don't know him. So I thought that was a cool thought. And I just wanted to do this because Jesus also, you know, prophetically said he fulfilled um, Isaiah 61, which is the take off their robes of heaviness and give them garments praise, um, plant them like trees, uh, just like his amazing um, prophetic uh, fulfillment of Isaiah 61. And of course, the Jews knew that too. And he had stood up in the temple and said, now is the day, you know, of your salvation when uh, he's saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah of the whole world. So I want to play the last uh, chapter of my Jesus, the Passion of Jesus book, because I felt like, wow, that really was the symbol of the sukkah, the symbol of the Mayam Hayam and the living waters. So um, I can't wait to see how the Lord is going to prophetically fulfill this feast. And I just wanted to like, talk more about it because um it's just so you know it's just such an amazing time that we're in that we would actually get to be involved in this latter harvest with the lord so i hope you enjoy this uh excerpt and stay tuned and i'm hoping to do that podcast next about the many faces of the antichrist um and God bless you all. And thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you for prayers. And I pray for you all as well. Uh, and the, may the Lord uh, cover us and keep us until he comes. And thank you for tuning in. All right. I hope you enjoy this. The Passion of Jesus. I Was Thinking of You. Written by Miss Lorianne Matisse. Read for you by Chiquito Joachim Crasto. Scene 25 Setting Golgotha John chapter 19 verses 28 to 30 I am thirsty. I 
am thirsty. When I spoke these words, there is no way I could describe the complete lack of hydration that I felt in my body. Here I was, the living water, who came to give life to the world, and I could not feel an ounce of liquid to quench the burning fire in my mouth, my tongue, nor my lungs. My body's fluids were at a level where most people would have already been dead. The fluid levels around my heart were at a point of panic. I was close to having a heart attack. The announcement of my thirst to the crowd was not to receive the sour wine that the soldier offered me. Whether he was moved with compassion or mockery, no. The drink was not to quench my thirst. I said these words to express the finality of the separation between myself and the Father at that point. Being God and man, I had never once mentioned my needs during my ministry on earth. I did not mention them when I was a boy either. I had no need to. My mother attended to my every need, and I was an obedient child with no need to be punished. My earthly father, Joseph, treated me fairly, with compassion, and provided for me. My father in heaven looked out for me spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. I had only thought of others during the time of my anointed journey on earth. I had no place to lay my head. I possessed no earthly possessions. I did not own a house or acquire livestock. I did not live to achieve a goal of affluence. I had one mission, to walk on the earth, to feel what my created beings felt to join them in their arduous journey, to experience their pain, and to take their sins on my back, to drink the cup of my father's will, and to die on the cross of my father's choice. Today I thirst, but tomorrow people will drink of me, the Mayim Haim, the living water. I recalled again when I stood up before the people in the temple on the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, which is an eight-day festival. The first and the eighth days are special days of rest, set apart from the others. The seventh day is known as Hoshana Rabbah, the Great Day. During this day, there is a water ceremony. The worshippers and flutists led by the priest visit the pool of Siloam, the same pool where I had put clay in the blind man's eyes, told him to wash in the pool, and his sight was restored. At the water ceremony of Sukkot, the priest carries two golden pitchers. One is filled with wine. The other one he dips into the pool and fills with water. A trumpet sounds as they return through the water gate to the temple. Here the priest approaches two silver basins. He pours the wine as a drink offering to the Lord into one, and the water from the pool into the other. This joyful ceremony is to thank God for His bounty and to ask Him to provide rain for another year of crops. It was at this festival I arose in the crowd of my peers only three years ago. 
people I had grown up with, people I had had fellowship with in the temple since my youth. I had proclaimed the opposite of what I cried out today. I said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly, his inner being, his heart will flow rivers of living water. John chapter 7, verse 37. The Maim Haim, me, the Messiah, the one for whom they had been waiting, standing in the middle of the festival, stretched out my arms to the people to welcome me as their Messiah. The image of me stretching out my hands nailed to a cross displayed a stark contrast to that day. The symbols of the festival are water and light. Later I proclaimed, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. John chapter 8 verse 12 the temple was filled with candles during the feast. The sky over Jerusalem glowed from these golden lamps shining from the temple set on a hill. In addition to the light, Levitical musicians played their harps, lyres, cymbals, and trumpets to make joyful music to the Lord. What a glorious celebration! The light was to remind the people of how God's Shekinah glory had once filled his temple the same glory which now shone in me. It was in the court of women just after the feast, standing next to those magnificent candelabras, that I declared I was the light of the world. How different I appeared today, with the dismal tenebrosity that draped the sky, framing me in a shroud of gloom. I did not look like the saviour of the world. Yet it is in this act as my heart is breaking in two, I am pouring out my water, and with it my blood, fulfilling the two golden pitchers of Sukkot. My life is an eternal flame that cannot be put out. One day, when there will be no more sun, there will be no need for the sun. I will be the light of New Jerusalem. As I thirst, I remain focused on those who believe in me and never thirst again. I will not be with you much longer in my flesh, because of the physiological events of my body putting strain upon my heart. My heart is breaking. The bursting of my heart will be the symbol of a God who loved the world so much that he gave his only Son. Even as I open this door to eternal life, I am sad to leave my followers, my mother, and my friends. It grieves me so that I cannot be with them any more in my body, but I go to another place, and I will receive them again with me. But more importantly, I will be with them always in the Spirit. Conquering death on the cross, I am completely victorious over the enemies of their soul and of yours. Darkness has no more power over my people. The people who call upon my name will be freed forever. The truth will set them free. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. John chapter 8 verse 36 When you feel tormented by Satan, 
when he and his deceitful fallen angels are lying to you, causing you to feel insane, confused, or afraid, you will know that I have overcome them. Today the head of the lying serpent is crushed forever. In my death is the glory, the power, and the kingdom forever. As I finished the work on the cross, I was thinking of you, as I am thinking of you now. Cardiac rupture is upon me now. At three in the afternoon, I shouted with a cry that came from deep within my bowels. It is finished. The questions that had swirled around my head. Maybe we expected too much out of humankind. Are we at fault? Is the God who created the heavens and the earth at fault for creating human beings to have fellowship with, meanwhile giving them a free will to choose? Even in creation, knowing there would be evil on the earth, we created the way out of the circle of sin. Can you find any fault with God's perfect plan and in the perfect unblemished Lamb of God? We thought that with the ethereal world we created, and with the perfect beauty in which we created it, humankind would be happy and good forever. These questions I had were nailed to the cross with me. I was the answer. Sadness. Sadness was nailed to me on the cross. Sin. Sin was nailed to me on the cross. Death. Death was nailed to me on the cross. Every fear, hurt, grief, sickness, sin or death was nailed to me. When you are in your worst hour of catastrophe, when you face fear, grief, sickness and death, I am with you, for I was thinking of you as I am thinking of you now. As I cried out with the voice of many waters, the earth began to quake. The shaking of the earth was nothing compared to the shaking of my eternal and final work in breaking my heart to become the temple of God. The souls who call on me, freed for now and eternity, I could hear in my spirit. I could hear them rejoicing with hope, as the thick veil that separated them from intimate fellowship with God ripped open like the day the waters parted in two at the Red Sea. When the children of Israel, once slaves, were freed, passed out of Egypt, walked on dry ground through the sea to the promised land, the waters stood still at the command of Yahweh. Today, the Holy of Holies was accessible to anyone who receives his plan of salvation. No more separation from God. Here on the fourteenth day of Nisan, I... The unblemished lamb was slaughtered. My blood now poured over the doors of the hearts of those who believe in me will be the exodus from the bondage of sin to the promised land of peace and rest. When God required a perfect sacrifice, the rows of priests with gold or silver cups in their hands 
stood in line from the temple courts to the altar where the blood was sprinkled. These cups were rounded on the bottom so that they could not be set down, for if they did, the blood might coagulate. The priest caught the blood as it dropped from the lamb, then handed the cup to the priest next to him, receiving from him an empty one. The cup was passed along the line until it reached the last priest, who sprinkled its contents on the altar. As the sacrificial lamb, my heart ripped apart, opened the door into the inner room called the Holy of Holies, the most sacred room where no ordinary person could enter. The veil, a divider that hid the glory of God from man, which separated sinful humanity from the presence of God, ripped from top to bottom was made of fine linen with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Intricately embroidered onto the veil were figures of cherubim, the angels who were spoken of by Ezekiel, with eyes all around, with the head of a man, a lion, an eagle, and a cherub. The cherubim who served God surround him night and day and guard the throne of God. Before this moment, only the high priest, God's chosen mediator, could pass through the veil one day a year on the Day of Atonement. Even this priest had to make meticulous preparations to enter the Holy of Holies. He had to wash himself, put on special clothing, prepare burning incense which he brought before him as a smoke cover to shield his eyes from a direct view of God. And most importantly, he had to bring a perfect blood sacrifice. As the earth rumbled, the hand of Yahweh himself seized the veil sixty feet high, thirty feet wide, and four inches thick, and tore it from top to bottom. My work on the cross was complete. My father had accepted my obedient and perfect sacrifice. As the veil split, the earth quaked, rocks split in two, and tombs were opened. I conquered death. Death had no sting. My death came by my hand, by my will, by my plan, by my surrendering of my power, by my last and final breath, given up of my own free will. The ultimate offering had been sacrificed. I had tasted death for all men, women, and children. Therefore, have confidence. You can enter the most holy place of Yahweh by my blood. You can draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith, for I was thinking of you as I am thinking of you now. My last thought was of you as I cried with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When the centurion and those who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. The centurion glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. All the people that came together to watch the crucifixion, having seen these things, smote their breasts. Matthew 
Chapter 27, verse 54 Eve's Memoirs and Other Books and Art by Laurie Matisse Available at www.evesmemoirs.com www.lauriematisse.com www.mysticcenter.com Laurie's blog, Weaving Light lauriematisseblog.wordpress.com For information on Eve the Musical, contact lauriematisse at gmail.com End Times Info www.mysticcenter.com www.calculatingthelast7.com Support the work of translating this book into other languages https colon two forward slashes www.patreon.com forward slash laurie matisse the temple of my messiah